The following movie is rated R. The Video Nasties, A through Z, with Death by DVD. Flesh for Frankenstein, and Forest of Fear, a.k.a. Toxic Zombies. This is The Video Nasties, A through Z, with Death by DVD. Here's I, Alexander Nash, and I'm Hank the World's Greatest. All right, so going down A to Z through the Video Nasties list, next we have an entry from 1973, a movie that has gone by several different titles, one of it which being Flesh for Frankenstein, another one being Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, which is odd since it's directed by Paul Morrissey and has literally nothing to do with Andy Warhol other than he showed up on the set one day and said, sure, you can use my name. Out of all the movies on the Video Nasties list, there's some decent ones, some real trash, some things that belong there, some don't belong there. This probably belongs on the list, but also it's one of my favorite movies on the list. I remember renting this in the 90s because it like finally came out on like master distribution videotape, and I rented it. It was, oh, it's an X-rated film. I'm going to take this and go home and watch it and... We're going to see where this takes us. And mostly what I got out of it was, wow, this is like some period drama thing. It's not really gory at all in places. And what what is this? But now that I'm more than an adult, that's a polite way of putting it, I can actually see it for what it is and really enjoy it because it is fucking hilarious. This is one of the funniest movies on the Video Nasties list. And I would say... What makes it one of the funniest is one factor. And that factor starts with an Udo and ends with a Kier. Because Udo Kier makes this movie. Everything else about the movie, eh, it ain't great. I gotta interject here because I really think Joe D'Alessandro is one of the greatest things about this movie. And I completely forgot about it. I, I similar to you, saw this for the very first time as a teenager. We'll skip my story, it's not as important. But there was something that I just completely overlooked and forgot, because this is supposed to take place in, what, 18th century Serbia. Everyone's European, except Joe D'Alessandro is one of Andy Warhol's superstars, and this dude has not even, like, a Brooklyn accent. It's a thick fucking Bronx accent. It's so out of place. Yeah, I'm gonna go work at Castle Frankenstein. <laughs> he plays, like, a farmer or something. He's a farmhand. Like, I don't know why you want to be a monk. I've never even seen you pray. It's fucking beautiful. I love it so much. So next to Udo Kier, I think these two things give it almost a, a Mel Brooks-like quality, for real. Well, I mean, Joe D'Alessandro is, he's an important factor to it, but 
you could clip him out of it and you still got Udo Kier and it would still be an interesting movie. I don't know if you could say so much if it was reversed. No, Because no. Udo Kier's performance, the way he delivers the lines in this movie and the intensity he has the entire time is just what makes it oh so scrum diddlyumptious. The big speech he has before they go to the brothel to uh, to find a brain for, for an extra horny man and talking about how like uh, depraved women are, uh, prostitutes well, he, are. He's more mad that he went to this, uh, I guess, a brothel, what you would call a brothel, when he was in medical school, and that all the women were really fully formed and how hairy they were, and that disgusts him, that a true woman... It's so disgusting. They have these big breasts, and they're so hairy, I don't like it, and he's so fucking great. Every single second, you cannot use your phone. You, If you're talking to somebody, you shush them, and you're just completely drawn to Udo. He is beautiful. I guess we could talk a little bit about the plot other than the fact that it's Frankenstein. It's fucking Frankenstein, though. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it does. It's, it's different than Frankenstein slightly in you know, different ways. It's not specifically a Mary Shelley story of Frankenstein. Uh, Udo Kier is Dr. Frankenstein. Well, it really does remind me of young Frankenstein. I think it's even got a lot of the similar qualities when it comes to their mistakes, trying to find the perfect body and the whole Abbey normal brain, though it definitely lacks a lot of the charm of you know Gene Wilder. But hey, not everyone can be Gene Wilder. Well, I mean, the plot isn't just to create life. It's to create a Serbian master race with uh, his perfect zombies of this uh, this hot model chick. And he needs a head for his, his hot model stud because he needs them to fuck. So they go to a brothel and just happen to take the head of a ace individual. That's right, an asexual man. And that's where the hilarity ensues throughout the rest of the film is the fact that old uh, Frankie boy just... He doesn't want to fuck. He doesn't like fucking. He does not uh, see the purpose in fucking. He's asexual. He wants so. to be a monk. I mean, that was his big thing before his, like, two lines of dialogue before his unfortunate demise and he ends up becoming the monster. He wants to move to a monastery and spend his time praying and meditating. So, you know, it's even beyond that, that he just wants to dedicate himself to the Lord. And now he's becoming an abomination of God because, I mean, the story of Frankenstein, modern Prometheus, you've got this dude pretty much trying to play god by creating this monster so it's almost an inversion of all of his beliefs so he just won't cooperate no matter what with baron frankenstein but now what's interesting about that is a lot of people have uh, ascribed i cannot remember the uh, film critic who broke this down but basically broke down classic horror villainy to kind of sexual fantasies in a way such as uh, dracula is sex with a mysterious stranger sex with the wolf man is uh, being ravaged by some sort of animal and kind of a rape a sexual fantasy story, but the Frankenstein That's story is a masturbation Arkansas story. Here. It's about trying to create life, you know, by yourself with uh, with no uh, female. And for this specific story, I would say that's more true than anything because Udo Kier's character is very much into masturbation yeah. <laughs> and very much into just being somewhat of an asexual man, even though he has um sex with his sister slash wife and they have two children together he's more concerned about this kind of nazi-esque master serbian race thing and they have to have really good noses because serbians have the best noses i don't know why that's added in there that's a paul morrissey touch and it's kind of amazing well so much of the the design of everything is ridiculous you mentioned the female monster the bride of frankenstein that's delilah or delila i always say her name wrong delila de lazara she's a playboy model she's also in phenomena you've seen her in a bunch of italian stuff before you usually will recognize her because of her eyes she's in the um 
Klaus Kinski film Paganini. I don't know if it's Paganini Horror or just Paganini. One or the other. Unpronounceable name. It's a Slavic name that I'm not even going to try and do. Plays Sasha, the male monster, the Frankenstein's monster. Again, an incredibly beautiful person. Everyone is sculpted and gorgeous in this movie. And it's so... Even aside from, like, Joe D'Alessandro's very, very New York accent, it's kind of jarring itself because it has this really dreamlike, almost mystical feeling because everyone's incredible. And it's like watching a fuck. I guess that's where Warhol's name comes in in the productions or as a producer because it looks like a Warhol-produced superstar movie. It's just very, very beautiful people. But you do have acting. I guess that's what makes it different is it's not as avant-garde and... Um, what would you say, abstract as, you know, most of Andy Warhol's films. This is pretty sequitur. I mean, it's, I really, I never thought of it so much as to introduce and talk about the movie as if it was a comedy like you have. And that really changes the game for me because the movie is unintentionally hysterical. Every single second of it. I don't know how unintentional it is, though, because a lot of it seems intentional. By far the funniest scene to me is, when he does get the male and female monster together and he keeps getting the female monster kiss to him. kiss the male one. Kiss him! Kiss him! And, like, Otto, his assistant, just keeps looking down at the dude's package to see if anything's going on and nothing's going on. They both glance down. Kiss, kiss him. him again! Kiss him! And it just keeps going on and on. Kiss him! Kiss him! It's like a who's on first skit. That's how I view it. It's just like almost all the interactions are incredibly comical. A lot of the acting is comical. Joe D'Alessandro is hilarious in the film. I don't know if he's trying to be or not, but... Look, I just wanted to tell you what was going on down in the lab in case you wanted to escape with something, okay? It's so out of place and I can't keep saying bizarre, but that's really... This movie is such a treat. It really is theater bizarre. The entire experience is... I think really jarring because it's so unusual once you get into the means of how they're telling the story. To, uh, right off the bat, Udo Kier is pretty much molesting and committing weird acts of necrophilia. It's not even like a pseudo, pseudo-sexual thriller. It's almost porn-level sexually it's charged. It's a very sexual thriller. It is just – it's highly sexual in a lot of ways. Almost every character is sexual. Uh, his sister wife, she is wanting to bang Joe D'Alessandro uh, the entire movie. Um Otto, his assistant, has a strange licking fetish. Also, what seems to be like he gets out of control and causes some sort of cannibalistic incidents. A little he bit can't of a biter. His hands. He tears your guts out when he's trying to have sex with you or something like that. It's all incredible extremes. It's all beyond even fetishistic extremes that, I mean, I don't it's think... It's John Waters' level of like fetish extremism. Yeah, because I don't think the average fetish would include necrophilia and... I guess I do kind of mean to shame people that get into that because that's kind of fucking weird. You should see a therapist. But this movie, like, plays directly into just, like, the most bizarre and not even closeted ideas of, of what people could consider to be kinks. This kind of just opens the door and is like, no, yeah, he you have to fuck the gallbladder. I mean, because what you have with Mary Shelley is electricity. That's what is used as the power, the tool of God, this vessel that will bring life forward into the creature that Dr. Baron Frankenstein has created. In this essence, he's got to fuck the gallbladder, man. And how do you think they're going to shoot that scene? Well, he just fucks the gallbladder. The best, I would assume, is what it would look like if somebody was going to fuck a gallbladder and a cadaver. Throw Udo Kier and a model on a table and say, Udo, go to work, and he... He gives his performance. I mean, it just sounds like somebody's making a fucking peanut butter sandwich with way too much jelly. It's pretty gross, Um, but it's great. It's hysterical. I mean, it's you're 
it's absolutely vulgar, but I think you're really apt with referring to it as something like John Waters because it's pleasantly vulgar. You really do have to have, I guess, a, a bit of a turned sense of humor to find something like fucking a gallbladder to life funny, but it is. Trust me. It really is. Well, it's a very perverse movie in a lot of ways, and that's also what makes it incredibly entertaining and incredibly off the cuff of a lot of other like Frankenstein stories because again as I was discussing about Frankenstein being kind of an inherently sexual story this one is very overt with that sexuality as opposed to you know other incarnations the way that where it just becomes this whole man's fight against God what well, this is man trying to become a God but also a God that's very fucking horny at the same time and the violence for the most part is pretty great it's it's kind of limited in a lot of ways it's a lot of pig intestines sheep intestines type scenario but there is a uh, pretty decent special effect of uh, the decapitation and there's a couple of different versions of the film you'll have to try it down the uncut version which is probably easier than anything at this point in history because um, some versions like uh, chop down the uh, the, de- uh, the decapitation they also uh, I came across a print that um, artificially darkened the print to make it look like it was like pitch black night. And this scene kind of happens in more of a day for night style, uh, style sequence, but the, the decapitation is great. Um, yeah, it's, it's obviously a fake head, but as far as putting a scene together and making it work for the budget, it works rather well. And then you also have the, uh, the comical twist at the end where the body is searching for this head that is currently being held by Udo Kier and Otto takes a club and just kind of, beats the headless corpse down. You go down. So, I don't know how anybody can see this film and not find it humorous and not and intentionally humorous because just so much of it, it plays like slapstick to me anyway. It's a very busty, terrifying... I wouldn't even say terrifying. It's a very busty horror, thriller, comedy. All of these things wrapped into one. All of the elements are really enjoyable. Everything about it is really enjoyable. And thankfully... I don't know if it's a nasty, but there is not so much a direct sequel, but this film was shot back-to-back with a Dracula movie, a Dracula vehicle, and that itself, too, is just as much pleasant to watch. Paul Morrissey was great. He was a yeah, lot of Yeah, Sammy, he also did Blood for Dracula, starring Udukir as Dracula in that one. And there is a, a bit of misconception about the directing duties on this film. It was wholly written by um, Paul Morrissey and directed by Paul Morrissey. Antonio, Antonio Margaretti's name appears on a lot of prints and that had a lot to do with um funding from the italian government funding for the film that you had to have somewhat like a how canadians to get the tax credit or you have to have so much canadian staff uh, on a film to get the the tax credit if you're shooting in canada and your american company same thing kind of went for italy at this time period you had to have a director that was of Italian nationality, and Margaretti lent his name to it. So, And he didn't really direct anything, maybe a couple of second unit shots, but really it's all through and through Paul Morrissey stuff. And he really just has a flair. I wish Paul Morrissey had made more films. I know he has a handful out there, but a lot of them end up being uh, some very avant-garde art films and some porn and some other stuff like that. And I'd prefer he, like, I wish he had made more kind of more exploitation horror style stuff over the years. And he just, he kind of fizzled out on that and went back to avant-garde stuff. But I think he was just like a terrific director, especially with this, this specific film. I like it way more than I like Blood for Dracula. Uh, Cause this one is just, it's kind of so well put together and so well handled. And it has a, 
beginning, middle, and end premise. It's it doesn't get loose like another movie we'll be talking about a little bit later. It stays on point as irreverent and odd as that point is. It sees that point all the way through to the end. Blood for Dracula is definitely more of an Andy Warhol feel to any to everything. It's where Flesh for Frankenstein has its own vibe. Something we didn't really talk about much. Uh, I think we mentioned it a little bit. There's a really in both films that we're going to be discussing on this episode. There's a heavy eugenics theme throughout it, but it kind of fizzles out, and you have this whole, you know, we're going to make the perfect Serbian complex. That's his entire point of creating his zombies, as he continuously calls them, the whole experiment. And I guess that's kind of trying to play into, like, the German audience, because at the time period, German zombie films were, I mean, that's what happened to Fulci. The Beyond had no fucking zombies in it in the first place, and to sell it in Germany, you had to have something along that line. So they're called zombies instead of really playing into... Frankenstein, even though they don't eat people or walk slower. They're not zombies, but that's fine. We really miss the whole point with that, and it's kind of neat in the next movie we're going to discuss it. It just, hey, eugenics, it's back again, too. I like the cast. I think that's one of the really fun things with this is you've got fucking, we were talking about this earlier, Nicoletta Elmi appears, who I think her last real big appearance was Ingrid in Demons, but she's the weird little twisted kid Olga that likes to stab Lizards with Needles and Deep Red. She's in Bay of Blood, a bunch of other Italian stuff. Um, I think I mentioned that chick whose name I always say wrong, Dalila De Lazaro. Monique Van Voren, who is nude for most of the movie, was like a big-time musical actress beforehand. So it's weird kind of seeing, like, we've got this New York vibe, the only real Warhol influence from Joe D'Alessandro, and then pretty well-established European actors, child actors. Udo Kier had been doing art films previously to this. He was hanging out with Fassbender's crowd and guys like that in Germany. He was really, really, really into art. So the whole combination all of these things coming together just turns out to be i mean if you like weird shit like twin peaks and that overacting style this really plays off it's not even overacting it's insane spoilers but udo kier gets his hand cut off at one point and it looks like he's gonna have a stroke it looks like they (laughs) cut his hand off to actually get the scene done and it's it's amazing he gives every ounce he has for this role and all of it's insane and i do really appreciate the very like wicked ending of it where the only people left alive are the uh the frankenstein's two children and they like pick up some scalpels and we fade out with joe d'alessandro still tied up and you don't know what they're going to do, but I mean, you're left to your own devices to figure that out. But I'm assuming it's something incredibly horrible, as we've kind of pointed these children as being very fucked in the head throughout the, the beginning of the film and throughout most of the film that they're a continuation of the uh, Frankenstein lineage. And they're, you know, they're harming animals. They're doing all kinds of shit. Yeah, they so, find that beating heart that their father has that he's kept encased in glass. And they seem enchanted by that. Every time they see it, something kind of heinous uh, i wouldn't say heinous but devious happens surrounding them so i really feel with you that vibe at the ending is he's dead we watched this whole thing and he's dead or he's going to die everybody's dead because there's a shot when the the children are walking out to you know create their finale of the film that all the bodies laying around and all like the uh the basically the pig entrails that are laying around all over the bodies and it's just this massacre of bloodbath udo kier is covered in fucking blood he has a pole sticking through his stomach with 
I don't know what that is supposedly hanging off that pole. Maybe it's his liver. I'm not sure what he got. I think the biggest dick of the movie is Sasha, the male monster, because he's conquered pretty much all the evil and just leaves his buddy fucking Nicholas hanging there and rips his own guts out, George Eastman, anthropophagus style, and dies while Joe D'Alessandro's just hanging there like, all right, you dick. But he kind of had to do it. I I see, like, a method behind that because... He like Joe D'Alessandro is just like intent on helping his friend. I'm going to get you out of here. And he wants to die. He wa- he doesn't want to continue living as this creature. So he knows his friend will continue to try to help him. So I just have to kill myself right now and get it over with. So I can go to heaven and meet God. Cause that's where I prefer to be. And it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of a murder suicide, but it does give the movie a little bit more of a, a like an impact or a punch. Because if he did save him, it would just end up being a completely different movie. And I, I just really like the way this thing ends. It's a big kick to the dick, a big swift kick to the dick. I like it though. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's it's probably the most hilarious film on the video nasties list because a lot of these end up being dry and droll horror films or like Italian gore films, cannibal Holocaust style stuff. There is not many like kind of comedies on the list or ones that really achieve a lot, a good amount of comedy in them. Well, even the last time we talked about Udo Kier, it was a very hard movie to get through because nothing happens outside of very awkward sex sequences where he wears rubber gloves. And for what it is, sure. House on Straw Hill is a really interesting movie, Fletcher Frankenstein, uh, so far where we're at, I mean, I'm a big fan of Cannibal Holocaust as a movie, not just as a video nasty. I like the movie. I like its message. I'm not so much a fan of Ferox, but I think arguably these Fletcher Frankenstein and Cannibal Ferox so far are fucking A. Fletcher Frankenstein and Cannibal Holocaust, rather, are two of the greatest and strongest actual, like, well-produced movies with messages and meanings that... I don't know, maybe I'm just twisted, but Cannibal Holocaust unintentionally is kind of funny. There's there's some humor. <laughs> I don't see the humor in it, but go with your own. But the man's the monster, you know, you know, they come out there, oh, look at us, and then they die, and I I don't know, I find that funny. But... So, all right, this is the part of the show where we discuss why this film was banned, do you think? And Everything. I'm going to assume all the massive amounts of necrophilia sexuality sex all mixed with violence uh there's a scene specifically of a woman woman's breast getting kind of coddled and touched by udo kier and he's leaving behind a blood trail that was a big fucking no-no because sex and violence together nudity and violence a lot of the uh the pig entrails that are left around i mean it, it, it can be hyper violent at times but it's not it's very splat sticky i wouldn't particularly call it gruesome violence as much as it is very humorous violence so that's basically why i was banned i mean this thing had a pedigree in the 70s it got passed with a like an x certificate by the bbfc before it even came out on video so once it was out on video we can't have those things on the shelves because people will just keep rewinding it and pausing it on the naughty bits so very uh, that's what i say anyway the freeze frame is going to drive you insane yeah, there's, there's nothing else I can really add here. It was banned for everything. I mean, everything you just said, and it's pretty much borderline of porn. I mean, it's nonstop nudity and violence and death and beheadings and fucking corpse fucking. It's got something for everybody, absolutely everybody. But I, you can tell also the BBFC didn't have much of a sense of humor because it ends up being so arch and over the top. 
and a comedy and humorous at the same time. I just don't know why they saw the humor because the humor takes a lot of the the violence down a peg because, again, something like Cannibal Holocaust, something along those lines, there isn't much room for humor and it is it's very depressing to sit through the kind of the entire way through and this is not like depressing this is like again like hank said it's almost like a mel brooks film so i don't there's not really any room on the bbfc for the bbfc to find any sort of like middle ground for a lot of this stuff they just i think just saw nudity violence done you're just done. Don't care about the tone of the film at all, at all or how depressing it makes you feel or how kind of dark it can be. And this film just isn't that dark. I think there was so much stuff by the time Flesh for Frankenstein got to being looked at by the BBFC and people like Peter Kruger that instantly nudity beheadings death. They didn't have to go through the movie to already assume it because all of these guys had this air of authority that they could watch these films and it wouldn't drive them insane. They weren't simpletons. They weren't going to watch it over and over again and then get an axe and kill their entire family or fuck a dead body. So for some reason, with their air of authority, it was just a blank decision. I think a lot of the films that ended up getting completely banned weren't even really looked over, weren't examined, that there were no people going, well, let's look at the themes here and why the guy ends up dying at the end of the movie. Nobody fucking examined this. They just looked at the sex and violence and that was it. Well, a lot of it, like, the entire tape wasn't even watched they would make sizzle reels of violence from the film, from the film and go, should we ban this? Look at all this violence. So the context of the violence wasn't there. So it just ended up looking like a goddamn fucking horror show. It ended up looking like, you know, news footage or something. So without the context there, of course you're going to be like, well, I cannot believe kids are watching all this depravity, but at the end of the day, no kid is going to sit through Flesh for Frankenstein and go, wow, what a movie, because they're just not going to get it. They're going to get very bored by it. Here's a fucking interesting story that I was just like, really? Is this where we're at in history? Uh, I have a niece that, seven years old, just watched uh, the film Jaws. I was like, I don't know. Jaws is pretty scary. You know, just be prepared and I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it and I'll be fine. It's not going to be scary. And I was just like, okay, because, you know, Jaws gets pretty even for me like it's intimidating scary i didn't want to get in the fucking ocean after watching jaws and shit like that but anyway sit down watch jaws and about 45 minutes into it this is boring i don't want to watch this and made it through about an hour and 10 minutes of it and just had no interest in watching jaws ever again so that's where we're at in history is no kid is going to sit down and watch anything because it's just all boring and for a period piece that is mostly dialogue with some violence in between and Udo Kier just being a fucking champ. No kid kids about cares about Udo Kier. I'll say it right now. No kids appreciate Udo Kier. I think Driller Killer is something, too, that can enter this conversation because it's baffling why that movie is banned or why it was banned by the BBFC. There's How did they make it through the first hour of it? Just like, I'm bored. It had to be a sizzle reel by the time they got to that. And it's, I mean, I, I, I love that movie. It's one of, I, I guess like Dare could say, one of my favorite films. I'm really big into... Um, Abel Ferrara in general, so I, I like seeing where he came from, and there's just something about that movie that touches me, man. I think it's the Buffalo. Personally, I think it's the Buffalo. But why was it banned? There's so little that even matters. This movie has at least reasoning. Like, you can get, but there's like, I, w- I wouldn't say every frame of the fucking movie, but there's a great deal of nudity every other scene, 
it's pretty chock full of pretty busty chicks taking off their shirts, especially the first 30, 40 minutes. And then it's violence after that. It goes from sex into the violence. So there's at least an understanding for it. But many of these movies, there's no fucking reason for it. Lisa Lisa, a.k.a. Axe. There's a, that movie didn't need to be banned. The only reason anybody saw it is because they banned it. Because it said Axe in the title. <laughs> That's literally why it was banned. Oh, Axe. Somebody could use an Axe in England to kill someone. Let's ban it. Very apt. Good job, Margaret Thatcher. Keeping the people safe. All right, so as we do on all of these shows, I'm going to read the little segment out of the book The Art of the Nasty by Nigel Wingrove and Mark Morris on Frankenstein, in parentheses, Andy Warhol's. <laughs> It's like a kid that has to write their name on something that's obviously not theirs. Like, Andy was here. He just wanted everyone to remember he was fucking, he went to Italy one time. I was on the set! All right, Andy, you're famous. Okay, passed with an X certificate by the PBFC in January of 1975 as Flesh for Frankenstein. This was made back-to-back with Blood for Dracula, both starring Udo Kier and Joe D'Alessandro. Two versions were in circulation at the time this was banned, but it was the only American import release on video gems that was uncut. The Vipco release had many of its gorier moments removed. It was initially re-released on video with 58 seconds worth of cuts, but has since been passed uncut on DVD. And I did look it up to see if I could find one that is for sale or had sold previously and what it had sold for. Could not find any information on anyone selling one of these or having one for sale whatsoever. But if you want to try to uh, track one down, the Vibco and the Video uh, Gems are the ones you're looking for. I'm assuming the um, Video Gems is the one that's probably more pricey just because it's the fully uncut version and not the uh, the Vibco American Roots. Because I've seen... What would, would essentially be the Vipco release? There's one on YouTube right now that is that, which has uh, some of the violence cut out of it. Like the, the full decapitation scene, like I said, was cut. Uh, some of the uh, the entrail spilling is, you know, chopped down a little bit. A little bit uh, of the, the gallbladder fucking. The gallbladder fucking is, like, is definitely shortened. Things like that. Typical. The most sinful thing to cut, the best scene. My favorite Udo scene. Udo Kier is just great. Let me just say that yeah. again. Man is great in this movie. Reiterating, Udo Kier is great. When it comes to getting this for your collection, if you want it on Blu-ray or DVD, as I've been trying to keep everyone informed, this whole episode is going to be a little problematic. There, This was a criterion. It's completely out of stock. Copies for that are probably just as much as finding yourself an original beta or PAL version of this on VHS, around $150 to $175, and that's used. I didn't even bother going farther and looking at unopened copies. Somebody else did put this out, but equally, 90 to 100 uh, unopened, going to $150. I managed to find a copy on eBay that, funnily enough, came in about 45 minutes. I got it right before the show started, so I didn't get to open it up. It's from France, and it gets even more... A beautiful cover art. It's got Joe D'Alessandro having sex with Lady Frankenstein and Udo Kier. For some reason, he's got a bib and a golden knife and fork, and they're on a dinner plate as if he's going to eat them. It's fucking great. I absolutely love it. But it's Rene Chateau Presents, Andy Warhol Presents, 
Un film de Paul Morrissey. I don't know who really put this out. It it just Who's says presenting it though. Yeah, there's so many people presenting it at this point. I don't know what he's to presenting. Do. Andy Warhol, who's also presenting. This Rene Chateau guy has got to have some power because he's presenting a presenter, and to me that seems like you've got to be really established to do that. Um, film Entertainment Remasters is all it really says, and then DVD video, uh, two thousand and three. So uh, edition Rene Chateau edition. There we go. So you can hunt this down. It's still got the sticker on the back, completely unopened, 299 euros. I got it for $7, like eight with shipping, came from France. If you are going along with us and attempting to collect every video nasty, I'm, I'm sure this is something that Severin, some, I can't put a name in anyone's say that, but it seems like something, that in Blood for Dracula, that it seems like that would come out and get remastered sometime soon with some of the stuff that's been coming out. So many strange... Well, with Criterion having it, that's where it probably is getting gummed up because Criterion is very serious about their, their properties. They don't like to let them go for other companies. Well, the Criterion Network right now has some bizarre David Hess rape movies and uh, the bird with the crystal plumage on it. So I think they're starting to learn horror might be coming back in a big way. So we can cross our fingers and hope that we can get a new release of that but still fuck if it's a criterion release it's gonna be 49 dollars. so a lot of <laughs> money for flesh for frankenstein find it however you can it really is worth seeing this is a treat out of out of the the video nasties itself this is a treat if you've never experienced this movie god let the sun shine into your life please it's fucking great it's a great experience out of all the shit we're gonna have to watch over the next few years of doing the, these episodes yeah Flesh for Frankenstein's a breath of fresh air. So, God, this sucks because we're moving on to the next one, and it's like, no, man, Flesh for Frankenstein's just so much fun, but unless we get incredibly in-depth, there's not a lot more we can No, I mean, you can look up trivia on IMDb and stuff and look up edits that were made. There's not a lot to discuss other than just kind of the very arch nature of the film. Um I could almost put this in uh, to that's a bold statement. I won't say it. <laughs> edit that shit out. The next film, on the other hand, has been uh, equally. I saw both of these early on in my horror career. I'd say maybe 14 for what we're about to discuss and 15, 16 for Flesh for Frankenstein. But we're going to talk about a movie from 1980 called Toxic Zombies. But on the video nasties list, it's known as Forest of Fear. I like Toxic Zombies. I think that's a really invocative title, and it makes you want to sit down and watch it. But also known movie. as um, Blood Eaters in America. Blood Eaters is equally a cool title, but that kind of makes me think more of a Fred Olin Ray joint. Like, I get that really cheap drive-in or feel. Or an Al Adamson joint more than anything. Or yeah. an Annie Milligan. Ooh, yeah, all, all of the above. And this kind of could have been done by any of them. This could have been done by Fred Olin Ray also. Very cheap movie. Everything about it is so over the top. It's like a mixture of like five or six different things. You can see a lot of reference from something like I Drink Your Blood inside of this and um, Ramiro zombie movies in general. You've got John Amplis, so you know you've got some influence from that. And why is John Amplis in this? I just want to know. I need that story from John Amplis. How the hell did you get mixed up in this weird local film? Who did you know? I mean, and this definitely is a regional film. Everything about it is so goofy. You've got even kind of like, I dare I say, the Return of the Living Dead, where this is predates Return of the Living Dead. I'm just using that whole marijuana reference. Pre-trioxin. Yeah, the trioxin could have actually come from this. The United States government has this 
drug that they're going to put on marijuana crops. They dump it on marijuana crops. It gets on some hippies that are out. They're not even hippies. They're just fucking weed farmers that are out growing. What We got $2 billion worth of shit in the ground, man. And they become kind of zombies. They're not even the smart zombies. They eat people. They don't communicate anymore, but they can pretty much run, use axes. They're just fucking monsters. They're dope up crazy monsters it doesn't make it doesn't matter there's like i'm, the I'm putting so much into like this it doesn't shadow matter. under their eyes and some toilet paper stuck to their face to make them look you know haggard more haggard than a usual hippie and they just kind of stroll through the woods and kill passers-by there's not even really a point to try and logically discuss the plot and some of the uh, stuff I mean, that happens because it's just we so can't discuss the, okay there's like a oh like a fishing and game guy I can't remember. Exactly There's the what his family job that's is. got the special needs kid and his sister, and they've just got. It kind of reminds me of Don't Go in the Woods. That there's just so many random characters that have been thrown into this, and it keeps going back to John Amplis, who's one of the bad guys that's working with another government official who has decided they're the guys that are going to do this and not let anyone know it. But somehow the fish and game guy also works for the government and is. Because the movie begins with two federal agents that just look like some random guys they picked up at a honky-tonk bar getting killed by the weed farmers. And they blast these guys, and they're like, well, we got to get out of here. Federal agents are going to come and find us. Then it interjects to these government guys, and a plane dumps all this stuff on them, and they get it on their skin. They become zombies. Then we enter the family. Then the fish and game guy, and he gets killed tangled up with <laughs> it just is crazy he ends up with the, the family's children and one of which is something that's not particularly politically correct at the moment and playing it very politically incorrect and in overall yeah um some of the language too when they discuss this character this child is incredibly offensive it's it it, and I'm laughing while saying it because I'm an asshole. We know that on the show. But it's one of those things that you look back at what was acceptable and you hear the scene, even if you're not watching it, if you're on your phone or in another room and you just kind of cackle with laughter of like, what? <laughs> this is so horrible. Why would you call your own child that or yet any other human being that's so awful? And at the same time, people are getting just like awful, not great effects, guts ripped out of them. The zombies are hacking up people with axes. The other pot farmer is also a character with his girlfriend that has escaped into the woods. And it's just these people lost cluelessly in the woods. They get to this old guy's cabin who tries to turn on them because he likes the pot farmers and lets the zombies in, where you get kind of this Night of the Living Dead, Harry Cooper, Ben standoff vibe. It's all over the place. And that's really my problem with the film is, as a regional film, it plays... Very nice in a lot of ways. They weren't shying away from the special effects. It's shot fairly okay. It's not a complete and utter mess. What ends up being a mess is the way they structure the story, where it's all over the place. Like when we do introduce the family, they're introduced out of nowhere. We don't have any mention of them of them before, like maybe 20 minutes into the film. And we see like their story thread through for like 20 straight minutes. And we forget all about the, like, the fishing and uh, wildlife guy. And we just go to the family and their children get separated and they run off. And it just goes in these like weird sections that make the film end up dragging because we don't have this coherent plot thread moving all the way through. It's just like, let's have some more people show up. And 
we get through the desk, we get through the desk, and then when you get to the um, the the codger in his cabin who like agrees to house these people who are running away from the uh, the toxic zombie mutants. All you government people are the same. You guys just come out here. Your government people, they dumped it on the wrong crop. They just killed my dog. Yeah, that's where the movie stops dead in its tracks. And I just, like, I lose any sort of coherence to, like, wanting to watch the film at all for the most part. That's where I usually, like, kind of stop paying attention to this movie because it's just like where is this even going at this point it feels like the third part of like a made-for-tv movie like one of those andromeda strain style things that was on tv for six weeks and you're trying to watch it all at once but it's only 90 minutes it goes into so many directions you kind of feel like well did i miss a part was there just a whole chapter that has been removed is this supposed to be a four-hour epic they cut down like midsummer and i hope not well actually i hope it is that'd be great <laughs> I watch more this. toxic zombies yeah i could go for that i'd watch four more hours of this for some odd reason but i think really what attracts me to it is i wouldn't say it's nonchalant style because it i don't think has any particular style in general but it just doesn't it care. has no tone whatsoever yeah it has no tone it has no style but i don't think it cares either i think charles mccran from what i understand about the writer and director was just a diehard horror fan and wanted to go out there and make a horror picture i was just talking about axe lisa lisa the director of that picture the same thing really wanted to make a movie, went out there, made it, never did it again, got it out of their system, felt good about doing it, and the product that you end up having, for me, I mean, and I think it's dangerous when horror fans make a movie, because a lot of the time horror fans make what they want to be in a horror film, and that's not always the greatest thing. I hate to... <laughs> Terrifier. Yeah, that's a great example. I hate to bring this man's name into it, but Quentin Tarantino, the one time he's made a horror film, he even kind of admits it's not that great he knows to stay away from it because he's a diehard horror fan Eli Roth um, insert the sound of crickets there let me back out of that statement <laughs> but this doesn't have any self-imposing nature at all it's not like I'm a giant horror fan you can see a lot of homages and just straight rip-offs in this movie but it's goofy nature is so light-hearted by the end of the ride even though right where we we're discussing right where you were at it is strenuous you start really losing your attention. It doesn't end shortly after that. It's like another 10, maybe 15 minutes. But it ends. I mean, it, it, it does wrap up. It ends, you know? <laughs> what a positive for a movie. Hey, it ends. It's not like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you're like, I've had to piss for 45 minutes. Brad Pitt's just shirtless on a fucking rooftop fantasizing about shit, and it just goes absolutely nowhere. This one ends. It just... People die. It ends. John Amplis, I love watching him die. I think he's such a terrific... Oh, Spoilers again, by the way. Ugh, I, I'm so tired of having to say that, but if we don't, people bitch. It's the, You don't get feedback, but I swear to Christ, if I miss a fucking spoiler that a dog dies, somebody will complain about it. The world we live in. I love watching John Amplis die despite having a great deal of admiration for him, and this may be just as fun as watching Dr. Fisher get shot in the head in Day of the Dead, which actually isn't fun at all. It's a horrifyingly sad, upsetting scene, but it's still pretty cool. The, uh... The director had apparently made comment over the years that it was intended to be humorous. I don't know if I agree with that claim. Um, I don't get where he was trying to be humorous. Um, but I will give him this. It does have that certain let's go out and make a movie feel to it. And I will applaud him for that, that just through sheer tenacity and like a spirit of wanting to make a film, he got something in the can, something released. And I mean... It played on the USA Network twice as its 
told us every piece of trivia of this film, who showed up on the uh, USA Network twice. But the tragic end of the story is director Charles McCrane actually died on September 11th. He was working at some sort of uh, investment firm in the one of the towers, and you can see his uh, obituary still on the line, and it mentions a, a nice big chunk about toxic zombies in it um, to where uh, he was still proud of the film up until his dying day where he never, like, turned his back on. No, 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 no. I made a horror film. Sure, I'm, I'm an investment banker now, but I made a horror film as well. So that's admirable to me as well. I think that's where some of my admiration from in general comes from, that this guy stood by it, had love for his product, and made it as a horror fan for horror fans of the time period. This is the type of movie you showed up to the drive-in at midnight with all of your friends trashed and just had a great time with. And growing up, this was a basement weed movie. It's a rite of passage sort of thing. It's absolutely goofy. Both films on the nasty list tonight, I think, all in all, are... are this isn't a strong movie. Toxic Zombies by no means is a good movie, but I think some of the most enjoyable to sit down and watch, and this because of its goofy nature. It is violent, but it's not It's not Ramiro violence. It's, it's influenced by things like that, and you can tell they had a shoestring, no budget. This was probably shot over weekends. It is what it is, and I love regional films kind of for that statement. They are what they are. It's a bunch of people that, like Dom Doler, went out there, they had passion, they had an idea in their heart, they had love for filmmaking and horror and genre films in their heart. They weren't trying to overexceed themselves. A lot of these people were going out there to make a movie because they wanted to make a movie, not for the means of what could happen afterwards or a success. So something like Toxic Zombies, with that being said, I just appreciate it more for that. It's just a movie for little horror trolls. It's it's for people to watch at two in the morning and, and have some fun with. And that's why I kind of appreciate both films uh, on the list tonight is both of them were made in good faith and they weren't made in negativity. They don't get inherently political particularly. They're just like, I want to uplift you with a film. I'm not trying to make you think. I'm not trying to particularly like end, like end your good day. I want you to watch this and just be entertained by it all at the same time. And that's what I really like about both of them. Because uh, a lot of the movies on these lists end up being you know, really something like droll to get through to where it's just like, God, like I have no faith in humanity at this point after sitting down and watching this very dark and kind of negative film. And these two are just very uplifting. They're like something fun to watch on a Saturday. Most definitely. I mean, Saturday night for flesh Frankenstein, but you get my drift. So overall, this is like one of the more pleasurable nights of video nasties we've had to go through. We didn't have to sit through fight for your life. And just go, God <laughs> damn. Uh, and we, <laughs> and it, it's, uh, we, we've gotten a couple um, emails and feedback on that. And we, I don't feel we were particularly negative, but we were asked by somebody. I wish I didn't, I don't have it up, so I don't have your name. Maybe I'll edit it in later. But why do you guys hate that movie so much? And I thought it was pretty fucking clear on the episode that it wasn't a matter of hating the movie or having any issues with it. But the particular subject matter itself is by no means enjoyable. And like, I love a good home invasion movie. There's a lot of rape revenge films out there. Last House on the Left, that's one hell of a movie. It's not that. It's not that part of the subject matter. It, it truly is the racial overtones of the entire thing. It, it's like nails on chalkboard. It's unpleasant. 
I don't get any joy out of it. And as we discussed at the end of the movie, I don't think anything good happens. The entire lead character's life has been ruined by the actions of this asshole. So I don't see anything good about the movie. I, I am not, I have no apologies. You know, that's my review. That's how I feel about it. So <laughs> there you go. It's just, I mean, that film is, it's so much in tone and so much the fact that, yeah, none of those racial epitaphs are being directed at me, but to have to listen to some human debase another human for 90 straight minutes with the most horrible racist shit you could say is just like after about 10 minutes of it's like shit man back the fuck off i can't like i know this is fiction but christ i don't care where it came from as it was being written even if the time period was different if i saw this movie in 1980 i would still have the problem i have with it today i find it unpleasant there's nothing about that that i can change no matter how many times i hear bill lustig tell me that he showed people not tell me you know i don't fucking know bill lustig but hear him say he shows people this at parties. That's weird. Why? <laughs> I'm never going to a party at Bill Lustig's house, I guess, is, is the end of that story. It's unfortunate, though, because the next time that we get together and do a video nasty, one of the movies I was excited to talk about until it was featured recently on Joe Bob's last drive-in. Now, I don't care and the other one's fucking gestapo's last orgy so yeah i'm, I'm excited to talk about nazi exploitation and briefly I, even a couple weeks ago i think i'd said to you man we're finally getting to do some fulgy well now that eli roth pretty much covered it all there's <laughs> what's there to say we can still cover it i got things to say that son of a bitch can talk wow eli roth knows so many words a lot like i mean his vocabulary and lexicon makes me feel really bad about myself good on you eli Fucking dictionary reading, son of a gun. All right, so why was Force of Fear, a.k.a. Blood Eaters, a.k.a. Toxic Zombies, put on the video nasties list? This one's a little bit more difficult for me because I don't particularly get it. There is a level of violence, but I, I might be desensitized to it a little bit at this point, but it just doesn't seem to get that violent or gory. And what gore there is, it's, it's kind of goofy. It's not, like, very well done special effects. I wouldn't so much say it's the gore, but a lot of it is the implications of what they're doing because the zombies use tire irons and axes yeah. and they're using... And I think, too, some of it really might be that they're growing weed out in a field. That it's not, like, a camp... Well, it is. It makes it look like it's pretty easy to grow weed, which it kind of is. And that, it too... It grows naturally anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it's where you can see, especially at this incredibly... I'm just going to say fascist era of English history, UK history, not just English history. Anything that could be, I mean, and, and you've really got to look at it the way that they were banning these movies. They honestly and truly felt that the, the British public were just ignoramuses, that they were all stupid, that this guy is going to see this and he's going to grow out and start farming weed and cut his wife's head off with an axe. And they looked down upon the entirety of their own people and they started banning these movies because they, they really thought that low of them. We can't let this get out. We can't let these people know that they can use a pair of garden shears to kill someone. Guess what? They already know. Oh, it's sharp. I probably could fuck somebody up with this. Uh-oh. Yeah. 
kind of an easy uh, sentiment to come up with yourself. You didn't need to ban blood feast to keep that. How's the crime rate? How's the stabbing rate over there? Didn't see. <laughs> did, did the banning any well, of these nobody's movies help? taking a girl's brains on the beach lately. Yeah, I. It, the more and more we get into it, and when we have episodes like this, and you you look at these movies, and both of us, we we did our work this time. We really sat down and went through these movies, had fun going through them again and conversing about them. I don't understand why either particularly are banned i could understand why they would carry a heavy rating maybe get shown at night maybe show your identification card to get into the theater something like that <laughs> neither of these movies represent anything harmful to society at any point in the 70s 80s now 100 years from now there's nothing that these uh, are there's nothing offensive about them either well <laughs> that's not true I guess but tonight is a perfect example of a discussion of tone and the tone of these two films is not particularly dark and not particularly negative. Now, fight for your life. I can see why that's going to make something particularly uncomfortable. Faces of death. I completely understand why that makes someone uncomfortable. A lot of these films, I get why possibly they showed up on a list. But for these, what essentially end up being ridiculous monster movies to go on the list and to be humorous at that no one's fooling anyone no one thinks any of this is real and the violence isn't particularly incredibly violent it's all done very tongue-in-cheek at the same time i just that's the biggest misconception about the bbfc is everything they were looking at was basically getting banned they didn't get movies they didn't like well maybe this one can pass but this one, uh, this one's over the top, blah, 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 blah. This is the where it really shows the colors where they truly are, where they just didn't understand cinema at all. And they were just seeing what they saw. So they saw scissor reels. And it's like, well, somebody getting hit with an axe. That's the end. But have you sat down and watched Forest of Fear? Because it's fucking clown shoes. This is ridiculous shit. This might as well be like 1950s giant bug movies. It's it's that style of film. I mean, that's fascism in general, and I'm not saying the UK in the 80s was inherently fascist or any place was, but the repression of art, let's bring up the goddamn Nazis. Hitler just had people make film in general, so it couldn't be banned because all of it was pretty much the original Nazi exploitation. All you could see in Germany while he was chancellor, while he was dictator, was produced stuff by him that he approved of that's kind of where it seems this is where the whole video nasty thing was going to like if we can just ban enough movies and we have things that are completely made by the bbc themselves that's approved for the british people this is what we're going to let them see this is what's allowed to have been seen and when they cut things off even if it's fucking stupid even if it's the beast in heat I don't know if there's any actual political value to that movie. I don't know if there's any deeper message or meaning to it, but the fact that you're disallowing people to see it is only going to make them want to see it more, thus giving the movie its its sacred importance. Some of these movies, like I've talked about Axe, would have fallen into ambiguity. No one would have watched Axe. Yeah, they would have just completely been lost. The prince would have been gone by now. It would have been stuff that people would pay $60 on a Vinegar Syndrome box set when it was found. And then you sit and see people complaining, this movie fucking sucks and I spent $60 on it. What are those situations? The BBFC, by enacting this, by trying to ban these movies, gave them life. Anthropophagus, sure, that might have existed outside of its own thing. House by the Cemetery, Spit on Your Grave, House on the Edge of the Park. A lot of these, uh, Cannibal Holocaust, a lot of these films would have triumphantly existed, but The Cannibal Man, on the other hand, 
that probably would have been lost. It's a good film. I like The Cannibal Man. I think it has a very sentimental and overwhelming, thought-provoking meaning when you really look at the movie about uh, your own personality, inner reflections, and a homosexual subtext way before its time that I think is really triumphant. It's not, I got even discussing it that way. It's not even really much of a fucking horror movie. There's not even cannibalism in it. It's just baffling. The the deeper it we go, it says cannibal in the title. Yeah, there's you violence. know there's cannibalism. Just the deeper we go into this, I guess where my rant is coming to an end is censorship in general is just so confusing. It's surrounding us every single day of our lives. No matter where you look, no matter what you say, something's being censored, something's being canceled, something's being deleted, whatever it's called. It's no different than the video nasties. You got to really look at what people are saying. You got to get rid of. Just last year, Joe Bob almost got canceled for something that he openly apologized for and admitted, yeah, well, maybe shouldn't have taken that publisher's money. Was just working. I'm just working. I, I apologize. And to this day, people are, are railroading against him. You're doing nothing different than the BBFC. That's my final thought here. You're really doing nothing more than what the video nasties are. It's not helping. All right, so the entry in The Art of the Nasty for Forest of Fear. Yet another ultra-low-budget obscurity. This one concerns zombies running rampant on a marijuana plantation. Monty's release inexplicably deletes the last four minutes of a man driving away in his car. Director Charles McCrane died in New York on 9-11. Um, yes, the, uh, the Monty version of the film the monty video label and again could not find it for sale or previously sold so i have no idea what it's going for um this one's probably gonna be a little bit harder to find because people are on to its grift and understand that this is not much of a movie like you could catch this on tv at this point it's pretty innocuous as a film overall i saw it on television on captain usa's groovy movie for the first time and there's some edits in it, but there's nothing particularly harmful or offensive in it, and which also made it a little bit easier this week to sit through the movies uh, where we weren't just getting... ...pounded and pounded and pounded with negativity. This also proves to be difficult, as was Flesh for Frankenstein. I believe... That Massacre Video is either, like, this month or next month putting out a fancy Blu-ray, I don't know if it's 2K or 4K, but with commentaries, all sorts of fun stuff of this movie. Going back to eBay, I found it for, like, $11 this time from a place called Substance Video 2005, Substance Video. The ending is cut off, and there is, I don't know what version this is, I don't know exactly what's wrong with it, but a great deal of the violence and gore and actual plot points has been cut out. A lot of the stuff about the mentally challenged child has just been taken out of the movie. Switched over, found it on Tubi. Whole thing's right there for you. The entire movie. You even got that ending scene that doesn't matter. It's a guy driving away. It means nothing. The movie could have yeah, ended five I, minutes before that. In fact, this movie means nothing. Yeah, it, it means nothing if you like John Amplis. You get to see him very, very young. It looks like from around 1969 to like 1984, John Amplis didn't age, and then he turned like 35 and became Dr. Fisher until now. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a matinee movie, and at, at its best, it's like something the kids in the neighborhood would go watch at 2 o'clock on a Saturday and just have a great time with, and I don't see it as much more than that. Watch it if you want to, I'd say. I mean, this is something you come up with a drinking game and you a Halloween horror party sort of thing when you have people over. 
Not to always promote drug use, this is a movie to hit the bong a few times with and laugh over. It's nothing to take incredibly seriously, and it really is something cool to kind of just zone out with. This is a great, great look into regional films and what they stand for. A lot of the time, I'd say 98 to 99% of the time, it's just people that had a, a real love and passion for making this film. So no matter how goofy and ridiculous it is, the heart and the the appreciation put into these people doing this, that's really what makes it a pleasant kind of fun experience to watch. And then Fletcher Frankenstein's just insanity. Movie's just absolutely crazy. It's great. There's there's ever in any way you can look at it. If you want to look at it as a horny, sleazy movie, it's great. If you want to look at it as a cut 'em up slasher gross movie, it's great. If you want to look at it as a Frankenstein movie, it's great. It's just great. <laughs> Everything about it. Fun movie. I hate using that to review, but for fuck's sake, it's fun. So that's going to bring us to the end of the episode. You guys out there in Radioland may have noticed we've got a new website, www.deathbydvd.com. You can find every episode there. Subscribe. Go find our website and subscribe. Join our mailing list. I know that sounds like it's 1999, but we're going to be updating the website very, very soon. There's going to be a lot of new fun features, and we're going to keep you informed with everything, including new episodes, when they're coming out, what they are, all that stuff. New things coming to the store, some discount coupons from some of your favorite horror places. The same ones I get in my email, I'm just going to type up and send to you because I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a deal with anybody. I'm not Wait gonna a minute. <laughs> what was the, the first three letters of that web address? WWW. Are, are you, it's not WW like E or F. F or O? You can actually just type in deathbydvd.com also. That'll get you there. It's It's clean and it's simple. Shouldn't be that hard. World Wide Web, right? The World Wide Web. That's right. Okay. So until next time, the ashtray's full and the bottle is empty. Join us soon for a fantastic month-long special. Hint, 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 hint. Oh, man, that donkey in Shrek is crazy. Goddamn donkey in Shrek. Previews of coming attractions. Next Friday on Death We begin a fantastic month-long special. And the return of Keith David or David Keith. All on the next episode of Death by DVD. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced.
Oh, <laughs> 